0: Amen. All right, well we're there in First Corinthians chapter fourteen. I think Brother Oliver's trying to send me a subtle hint to not preach the whole chapter. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to make it through the whole chapter. It's a long chapter, uh, but we're gonna try to make it. Can you turn me on just a little bit? I feel a little echo if you could help me with that. First Corinthians chapter number fourteen. Look down at verse number one. The Bible says, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. In this chapter, um, we, we see this term here in an unknown tongue. And just by way of introduction, I want to explain that term to you, and we're going to go through the chapter tonight. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 14. That's our text for tonight. But go through the book of Acts just real quickly. Acts chapter number 2. Now, if you just go backwards, you're going to go past uh, Romans into the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 2. And while you turn there, let me say this. This chapter is uh, primarily deals with, with four subjects. It deals with the subject of why it is better to prophesy than to speak with tongues. That's really the main theme of the chapter. And a lot of people think the chapter, and you, you'll hear people talk about this chapter, and they'll say, oh, this chapter is about speaking you know, in an unknown tongue or speaking with tongues. But really, the main thrust of the, ch- of the chapter is why it is better to prophesy than to speak uh, with an unknown tongue, and then he talks a little bit about about the signs of supernatural speaking with tongues. Um, then he gets into and I would say the bulk of the chapter has to do with characteristics of real Bible prophesying or preaching, and then it, he finishes the chapter up with some practical instructions for order in in the church service and we 're going to try to cover all of that tonight i, I don 't want to split this chapter up into two weeks. I want to try to get it all done, but let me start with just explaining that term, you know, tongues or unknown tongues. If you're there in Acts chapter 2, in verse number 4, of course, you're familiar with the day of Pentecost. The Bible says in Acts 2, 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with, notice these words, other tongues. Other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his. Want you notice these words, own language own language. And if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you know, uh, you, you may want to just underline that that phrase, own language. And then in verse 4, other tongues. Maybe even draw an arrow between those terms, other tongue, own language. Look down at verse 7, and when they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how here we, every man, in our, notice this, these words, own tongue, wherein we were born. Now, I just want you to understand that The Bible defines the word tongues as languages. The Bible, you hear me say often, serves as its own dictionary, and it defines this word. In verse 4, it called it other tongues. In verse 6, it said, we hear them speak in our own language. In verse 8, they said, how hear we every man in our own tongue? That's what the word means. It means languages. And when we get to 1 Corinthians 14, in fact, go back to 1 Corinthians 14, we are still talking about languages when we're talking about tongues. And I want you to understand, when the King James Bible uses this term, unknown tongue, the term that you and I would use today would be a foreign language. That's what the term unknown tongue means. It's a foreign language, a language that is unknown to us. Now, the Pentecostals, always want to, you know, and, and, and charismatics always want to twist these uh, chapters and these passages and try to fit, you know, their, their uh, demonic uh, tongue speaking and tongue babbling in, into this. But you need to understand, the Bible defines the word for us as languages, and it's the same definition throughout the word of God. And in fact, in, in this chapter... You know, uh, and here's what you need to understand when it comes to tongues. And I kind of want to just lay this foundation. When it comes to speaking with tongues, speaking with another language, there are basically two categories that we have to acknowledge when we're studying that in Scripture. One category is the supernatural miracle of being able to speak with a language that you never learned, all right? That's what we uh, read about in Acts chapter 2. That's what we read about in Acts chapter 10. That's what we read about in the book of Acts when, when the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spoke with tongues. They were speaking languages. The miracle was that they were speaking languages that they had never learned, but it wasn't an unknown language in the sense that the language did not exist. Because Pentecostals will come to 1 Corinthians 14 and say, this is an unknown language. This is a language that does not exist, that, you know, does not exist on earth. But here's what you need to understand. The term unknown means it's not known to the people that are hearing it. It's foreign to them. And I'm going to prove that to you in a second. The other you know, type of speaking with tongues that we learn about in Scripture is what we learned about uh, in in chapter 12, if you remember when we learned about spiritual gifts, and it's the aptitude to learn a language, uh, you know, the gift, the spiritual gift that God gives some people to be able to learn a language, of course, for ministry and for God's glory. Now, here's what you need to understand. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul is dealing primarily with the gift and the aptitude of uh, speaking a language that someone has learned, let me just prove that to you just real quickly. You can find it all throughout the chapter, but i 'll give you one example. Go to verse number sixteen because a lot of people are confused by this and they 'll think like, "Oh, is this talking about you know what happened at the day of Pentecost, or is this something else and here's and I just want you to uh, you know the answer is always in the Word of God. Just study the Word of God, and the Bible will explain to us what we need to know. Notice verse uh, sixteen there first Corinthians fourteen sixteen says Else, and we're going to come back and hit the entire chapter, but I just want you to notice this first. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned? So he's talking about someone speaking in an unknown tongue and they're blessing, you know, with the Spirit. And here's what Paul is saying if you're speaking in this unknown tongue, how shall he that occupieth the room of the, notice this word, unlearned, say amen? at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. So I want you to notice, when we're talking about an unknown tongue in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, look, if you're preaching or you're praying or you're giving a blessing in an unknown language, how shall he that is unlearned say amen? How are they going to agree with you and, and you know, acknowledge you if they don't understand what you're saying? And here's all I want you to notice. According to Paul, and according to verse sixteen, and we see this in other uh, verses in this chapter, the reason they do not understand is because they are unlearned. You see that in verse sixteen. How shall he that occupyeth the room of the unlearned say Amen? So it's not that they don't understand because they did not receive the supernatural Holy Ghost power to have the gift of tongues. They don't understand because they're just because they never learned that language. That's the context of this chapter. Now. In this chapter, he does touch on the miracle of speaking with tongues and the supernatural speaking with tongues. And I'll point that out to you when we get to that uh, point. But he's primarily dealing with this idea of speaking with an unknown tongue and the gift of uh, the, the aptitude that God gives some people to be able to learn languages and use them in ministry. Now, you might be asking yourself or wondering, you know, why would god put an entire chapter on this idea of prophesying versus speaking with an unknown tongue you know and give it the importance and here's what you need to understand just to give you a little bit of context you know the the city of corinth and some of you will have you know maps at the end of your bible and you you can look at that map if you'd like you know or you can google it the city of corinth exists even till today but the city of corinth was a port city And you know, we have major port cities in the United States of America, like the city of San Francisco or like on the east coast the city of new york or you know long beach in southern california and what you find is in port cities you know port cities where ships come in and ships go out is you have a lot of diversity right i mean go down to to, to san francisco and you're going to find you know people from ev- all over the world are there new york city same way long beach same way you know major port cities in any country are going to have a lot of diversity in the sense of a lot of people from a lot of different countries are there why because ships are coming in and ships are going out. That's what the city of Corinth was. It was a major port city. And as a result, they had a church that was filled with people who spoke all sorts of different languages. Keep in mind, the church at Corinth is messed up in a lot of things. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth to try to correct some things and help them with some things. And this church was literally coming together and they had people who spoke all sorts of different languages and people were just getting up and just doing things in whatever language. You know, the song leader got up, and he's singing in one language, and the guy that has to pray is singing in another language, and the guy that's preaching might preach in one language, and maybe the next week, another guy will preach in a different language. And Paul's trying to help them with, you know, this idea Because they were taking pride in the fact that so many people spoke so many different languages and he's trying to help them with that. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of the context uh, to this chapter and why it is that Paul writes to them and deals with them uh, uh, about this. So point number one is this. He begins by explaining why it is better to prophesy than to speak with tongues. Why it is better to prophesy than to speak with tongues. Notice verse one. He says, follow after charity. Now, if you remember last week, we were in 1 Corinthians 13, and the entire chapter was about charity, and we learned about charity. And Paul is telling us, you know, charity is something that you should be pursuing or going after in your life follow after charity. And, you know, that's something that we all need to work on, and we all need to try to get better at those things that we learned about in 1 Corinthians 13, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things, right? Uh, You know, learning those attributes of charity. He says, follow after charity. And then he says this, and desire spiritual gifts. The word desire means to have a strong feeling or wanting. Paul is telling them, hey, I, I want you to Follow after charity, and I want you to desire the spiritual gifts. And again, we learned about the spiritual gifts, gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and then we learned about charity in 1 Corinthians 13. But then he says this, But rather... That ye may prophesy. He says, it's better. He says, I realize that your church is filled with people who have received a spiritual gift, an aptitude that God gave them, an ability to speak all sorts of languages. But he says, you know what's better than that? He said, I want you to desire spiritual gifts, But he said, I would rather that ye may prophesy. Now, in the Bible, the word prophecy or prophesy is talking about preaching the word of God all right? Usually when we think of the word prophesy, we think of the word, you know, of like foretelling the future or telling something about the future. But in scripture, the word prophesy simply means to preach, you know. Sometimes, someone said this, sometimes prophecy will foretell, but prophecy is always telling. You know, you'll foretell the future, but you should always be telling the truth. And you know, one example of that is Proverbs chapter 31, and you don't have to turn there, but the very first verse talks about the prophecy that his mother taught him, right? And if you read Proverbs 31, there's no you know, future prophecy in there. It's all just preaching from the word of God, just applying biblical principles. And that's an example of when we see something called prophecy and there's no future telling. So the word prophecy is simply talking about preaching. And he says, I would rather that ye may prophesy. Now, why does he rather that they prophesy? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, because it is better to prophesy, he says, it is better to prophesy than to speak in an unknown tongue. Here's why. Because when you speak in an unknown tongue, no one understands you. He says, when you speak in a foreign language, people may not understand. Verse 2, and he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Now, the Pentecostals say, oh, that's because they're speaking a a spiritual language. But no, remember, we already saw in verse 16 that the reason they don't understand is because they're unlearned. It's just because they never learned that language, you know? If somebody got up here and started speaking Arabic, I wouldn't understand them, not because I didn't have, you know, a supernatural miracle happen. It's just I've never taken the time to learn the language, you know, to learn Arabic or to learn, you know, whatever, you know, a foreign language that, that we would not know, Japanese, whatever. He says, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men because it's foreign to them. He says, but unto God. He says, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. He says, he might be preaching a great sermon or praying a great prayer or really ministering to uh, himself, but he's not helping anybody else. So he says, look, it's better to prophesy than to speak with an unknown tongue because no one understands the unknown tongue. He also says it's better to prophesy than to speak in the unknown tongue because no one is helped when you speak in an unknown tongue. Look at verse 3. But he that prophesied speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. We're going to come back to that verse later on. But look at verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Look at verse 5. And I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth, he says greater is he that preaches, then he that speaketh with tongues, he said, here's the exception, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. So he's not saying that there's anything wrong with somebody getting up and preaching in a foreign language. But he said, if somebody's going to preach in a foreign language, then you need to have somebody to interpret you say, why? That the church may receive edifying. So, you know, if one day we had somebody get up here and they're going to preach a sermon in Spanish, you know, uh, many of you don't speak Spanish. There's nothing in the world wrong with having somebody, you know, standing next to them, interpreting what they're saying or, you know, whatever other language if we have someone. But here's the thing. If someone shows up who, who you know, a, a, a guest preacher shows up, and only speaks a language that none of us understand, and nobody here can interpret, then he shouldn't stand up to preach, because look, it's better to prophesy than to speak it in an unknown tongue. Why? Because a uh, speaking in an unknown tongue requires an interpreter. Why? That the church may receive edifying. Look at verse 13. We're going to come back to verses 6 through 12 here in a minute, but skip down to verse 13 just to stay with the theme here of why it's better to prophesy than to speak with tongues. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. He's saying, look, I may be praying in an unknown tongue, but the understanding, you know, is unfruitful. There's no fruit when people can't understand. Verse 15, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. He's saying, look, if you don't have an interpreter, you're not going to edify anyone. You're not going to help anyone. I thank my God. Notice what he says, Verse 18. I speak with tongues more than you all. So Paul, Paul's talking to people that are being real pride-filled about the fact that they speak in all these different languages, and these guys are getting up and preaching a sermon and using all these languages and pressing everybody. And Paul says, look, I speak with tongues more than you all. Now, why did Paul say that? Here's why. Because Paul, if you remember, is a missionary who's traveling all over the world, starting churches all over the world. And the man you know, probably spoke a lot of languages. In fact, we see... In the New Testament, where he's speaking Greek and he's speaking Hebrew, and he's you know going to all these different places, and he says, "I speak with tongues more than ye all." Verse nineteen. Yet in the church, I had rather speak with five words with my understanding. And and keep in mind, because the the Pentecostals will say, "See, my understanding there is talking about the fact that he himself can't understand it." But if you look at the context, it's very clear that he's talking about. When he says my understanding, he's saying with me being understood. He says, yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice, I might teach others also than, you know, saying rather than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So look, he's, he's just explaining the fact that it's better to prophesy than to speak with tongues. Why? Because when you speak in an unknown tongue, no one understands. Why? Because when you speak in an unknown tongue, it doesn't help anybody. Why? Because when you speak in an unknown tongue, you need to have an interpreter. And if you don't have an interpreter, then you know it's, it's useless for somebody to get up and preach or pray or whatever. Look at verse 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding. He's talking about maturity here. He says, you should not be a child when it comes to understanding. He says, I want you to understand the word of God and the preaching. Then he says this, how be it in malice? The word malice means to desire harm or ill will. He says, in malice be ye children. You know, we should be immature in the things of sin, and we should be mature in the things of God. You know, as, as Christians, you know, you don't know what's, if you don't know what's going on in the world as far as, you know, famous pop artists, or famous rap artists, or famous whatever, you know, that's good. He says, look, brethren, be not children in understanding, albeit in malice, be ye children. He says, look, in the things of God, we should be very mature, but in the things of the world, in the things of, you know, whatever the world is doing, in those things we should be children we should be immature we should not you know be involved in those things so we learn first about this thing of why it is better to prophesy than to speak with tongues and because the chapter has 40 verses in it it's it'll help us go faster if we just hit all of the verses that deal with the same thing so we hit all the verses there that explain that the second thing he talks about is the sign of the supernatural speaking with tongues because he does talk about the supernatural speaking with tongues, look down at verse number 21. Notice what he says. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Now we're going to come back to that verse in a minute, verse 22. Wherefore, notice what he says, tongues are for a sign. So he says, look, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe. So, the tongues are not a sign for people who believe. So again, let, let's say, you know, the Pentecostals were right, which they're not. There's lots of ways to disprove that. But let's say they were right. Tongues is not something that we're supposed to be doing within the church for those that believe. It says, but to them that believe not. Now you say, well, what? He says tongues are a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. What is that talking about? Well, it's simply talking about Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Why? Because when they began to spoke with tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance, what did they do? They went out and they preached the gospel to them that believe not. They got people saved, right? 3,000 people were saved and baptized on the day of Pentecost. So he says, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, uh, uh, but to them that believe not, but prophesying serveth not them that believe not, but for them which believe. And by the way, that's why at Verity Baptist Church, we don't have this, you know, structure of most churches. You know, most churches today, what they want to do is bring in all the unbelievers, right? Let's bring in all the unbelievers into church, and then the pastors are going to get up every Sunday morning and preach a salvation test uh, uh, sermon and, you know, get them to walk down the aisle and get them saved. You say, is that scriptural? Well, here's the thing. The Bible says, Prophesying serveth not for them that believe not but for them which believe. You know, when, when, when a pastor stands up to preach the word of God, he should be preaching to people that are already saved. He should be preaching to people that, you know, church is not for unbelievers. Now look, if an unbeliever walks in here from time to time, we'll do our best to get them saved. But, you know, how do we do that? By doing it the scriptural way and sending a soul winner down their way after the service to give them the gospel. You say, you say, but why not just preach a salvation, you know, sermon every, every Sunday morning? Here's, here's why we won't do that, because that's not edifying to you. You know, the reason that these churches are filled with a bunch of weak Christians is because, unfortunately, most Christians begin as Sunday morning onlys. A lot of them just stay as Sunday morning onlys, and when you're a Sunday morning only and the only sermon that's preached on Sunday morning is salvation, you're not growing, you're not going to learn anything. You're not going to be, you know, edified in the things of God. So he says, look, he, he, he says, but prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Now, go back to verse 21 real quickly. Notice what he says. And the Lord is written. Now, he's about to quote Isaiah 28 and verse 11. We don't have to turn there, but if you want to write down that note as a cross-reference. It is written with men of other tongues and other lips while I speak unto this people... And yet for all that, they will not hear me, saith the Lord. That's a quote from Isaiah twenty-eight, eleven, which reads, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Now, what is that referring to? That is, again, a reference to the supernatural speaking with tongues that happened in Acts chapter 10, the house of Cornelius, right? Because what happened when Cornelius got saved and the Italian men got saved and they began to speak with tongues, that was a sign to the Jewish believers. Remember, Peter came in with the Jewish believers and they saw that God was getting the Gentiles saved. And that's why he says, with men of other tongues, talking about Cornelius and his Italian band and other lips, while I speak unto this people. And again, not specifically just Cornelius, but it's an idea there that God was going to use people who spoke a different language as a sign for the Jews. We saw that in Acts chapter 10. And then he used the Jews, you know, in Jerusalem, the 120 believers speaking with foreign languages that they never learned uh, to get the gospel out on the day of Pentecost. So that's the sign of the supernatural speaking with tongues. So those verses deal with the supernatural other than that, he's just talking to them about just languages that they have not learned. All right, go, go back to verse number three. So we saw number one, why it's better to prophesy than to speak with tongues. And we saw number two, the sign of the supernatural speaking with tongues. Number three, and this is where we're going to spend the, the bulk of the sermon, is he gives us characteristics for real Bible preaching or real Bible Prophesy. Because if you remember, the word prophesy simply means to preach. And he gives us characteristics of that because that's what this chapter is really about. Remember, he's talking about it's better to prophesy than to speak with tongues. And he tells us why it is better. It's better because no one will understand you. It's better because it doesn't edify anybody. It's better because it requires an interpreter. Then he goes into this thing where he's just telling us and giving us some characteristics about real Bible preaching. And I want to go through these with you tonight. And especially for you guys who want to preach and learn how to preach. You know, you go to the men's preaching nights. You should jot these things down because this is the Apostle Paul giving us a lesson on Bible preaching and how to preach the Word of God. And I want you to notice what he says. Number one, real Bible preaching should edify. Real Bible preaching should edify. Look at verse three. He says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto man to edification. The word edification means to build up. Notice verse number four. He says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth, notice what he says, he that preaches edifieth the church. Now, what is that term edification or edify or edifyeth? What does that mean? And here's what you need to understand. It simply means instruction for improvement. Instruction for improvement. See, when you come to the house of God, you should hear preaching for the word of God that instructs you to help you improve. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, you don't have to turn there, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. One of the purposes of preaching the word of God is to instruct people in righteousness, to instruct them in uh, improving their lives. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So look, Bible preaching should edify you. It should instruct you in improvement. That's one of the reasons why at Verity Baptist Church, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the sermons at our church are are usually extremely, you know, practical. We try to balance, you know, have heavy doses of, 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 of practicality. That's why we preach sermons about how to be a good husband, and how to be a good wife, and how to manage your finances, and how to properly rear your children, and how to have good social skills, and how to be a good employee, and how to do this, and how to do that. Why do we preach those sermons? Why? Because good preaching will edify you. It will instruct you in righteousness. It will instruct you in improvements. It'll help you become a better person if you follow what's being preached. But here's what you need to understand, and here's what it comes down to with preaching. Preaching will do nothing for you if all you do is hear and never apply it. You have to apply the things that you're taught. You know, every year I preach a sermon on finances and and people have came to this church year after year, year after year and heard me preach on finances and how to get out of debt and how to save money and how to do this. One year I did a whole series, like a five week series on finance and people came week after week after week, applied nothing and they're as broke today as they, they were when they started coming here. And yet there are some people, I had one person come up to me after one of the services and said, Pastor, since I I started coming to this church, uh, you know, when you did the whole series on finances, and they told me this maybe six months ago, I started applying those things and I just want you to know, I'm out of debt now, and I am saving money for the future, and they were telling me all these financial things, and there was somebody who not only heard the preaching, but went home and did something about it. And look, church will not help you, I don't care how... Faithful you are Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if you don't go home and actually do something with it. Because good Bible preaching will edify you. It will instruct you in righteousness. It will instruct you in improving your life, but it won't help you if you won't do it. Notice verse 3 again, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. He says, but he that prophesied speaketh unto men to edification. Then we see the second characteristic, and exhortation so the first characteristic was real bible preaching should edify you the second characteristic is real bible preaching should exhort you should exhort you now what does it mean to exhort it means to encourage but please understand that's not the full you know definition because people think like oh okay so preaching should just be encouraging and when they think of that they think of like Joel Osteen you know just you're doing great you're awesome, God loves you, I know you're fornicating and a drunkard and a drug addict, but you're fine. No, you know what, that preaching, when people preach like that, you know what they do is they hate you. Okay, because when somebody actually loves you, they're going to instruct you in righteousness. They're going to try to help you and give you instruction on how to do better and how to do right. And when a guy preaches like that, all he's after is your money. So what does it mean to have exhorting? Because people say, oh, see, Pastor Jimenez, you're not very encouraging. Okay, but here's what you need to understand. Exhortation is an encouragement or an urging for someone to do something. So when I get up here and I preach a sermon about why you need to go soul winning, that's your encouraging sermon. And you say, well, Pastor Ben, you're not very encouraging. In fact, when you preach on soul winning, it makes me feel guilty. Uh, that's because you don't go soul winning. You know, let me just explain to you the trick to making all sermons not make you feel guilty anymore. is just quit sinning. You know, just do what the Bible says, and then you'll be on the amen side of the sermon, not the oh me side of the sermon. But you know, you say, well, where's the encouraging sermon? When I get up and preach about you ought to tithe, that's me encouraging you to do something. When I get up and preach about how, you know, you should be reading your Bible every day, I'm encouraging you to do something. So it's not the encouraging sermon like pat you in the back, it's the encouraging sermon like kick you in the rear end. You know, like trying to encourage you to do something. So we ex- we we uh, 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 edify you, we instruct you, and then we exhort you or encourage you to do what you've been edified or what you've been instructed to do. But then there's a third thing. Notice verse 3. But he that prophesied speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Comfort. Now, the word comfort means to alleviate a difficult situation, and we should definitely be comforting from time to time and helping people with uh, difficult situations. You know, And again, preaching should be doing that. When you, a lot of times people come to church because they are in trouble, because things are not going well in life, because there are difficult situations, and we would, should be comforting them. How? By just telling them everything's okay? No, by giving them instructions, by encouraging them to follow the instructions that will alleviate difficult situations. That's what real Bible preaching does. Look at verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? So what what should real Bible preaching do? It should edify you. It should exhort you. It should comfort you, you. It should profit you. It should profit you. It should make you better. It should make you better. And here's the honest truth. You should be better in the Christian life, better in life in general. You should be better after coming to Verity Baptist Church for one year than you were the first year. You should be better year number two and year number three and year number 10 and year number 20, Lord willing. You know, your life should be getting better the more preaching that you hear uh, and apply. It should be profiting you. And here's the thing, if it's not, if your life is getting worse, there's a problem there, and here's the problem. You're either not listening or you're not applying what's being taught because Bible preaching will not only edify you, it will instruct you, but we will encourage you to take the instruction. We will comfort you and try to alleviate bad situations and say, yeah, I know things aren't going well with your children. Let me help you with that. Let me teach you what the Bible says. We instruct you. We encourage you, and then we comfort. We alleviate. It should Profit you. Notice there, verse six. He says, "What shall I, I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine." Notice verse seven. And let me just give you number five. Real Bible preaching should be clear. Real Bible preaching should be clear. First Corinthians fourteen seven, and even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp except they give a distinction in the sound, how shall it be known what is piped or harp? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? Here, he's giving this a, a, a illustration of, of the military. You know, when I was in the military, we had trumpets that would blow on the base, and the trumpets, you know, meant different things. Some things meant Sometimes it meant you need to get up, Sometimes it meant you need to salute, you know, the flag or you know whatever. Sometimes you know different things. And he's saying, look, the trumpet. You know, when these militaries they would have trumpets and people would know. You know, when you hear a certain sound, you know, it means we're getting ready to go to battle. You know, or whatever means you get ready for battle. But if the guy who's playing the trumpet doesn't know what he's doing, you know, or messes up, it should sound and it sounds. You know, then people are like, well, well, are, is lunch ready or are we supposed to go to fight? You know, they're confused. And he's saying, this is how a lot of preaching is, so-called preaching today. People come to church and the pastor's just not clear. And people are just like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Verse 8, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise, ye accept, ye utter by the tongue. Notice, this is what our goal should be as preachers. Words easy to be understood. And that's literally the words... We shouldn't be getting up here and using words like agape and eschatology and, you know, whatever. But he's also just saying the way we communicate, it should be easy to be understood. How shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, some uh, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, I know not the meaning of the voice. I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, or he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye... For as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edify of the church. Here's what he's saying. You need to preach clearly. That's the only way to edify the church. And look, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I mean, there are churches all over this world who you, you go. I remember growing up in churches where the pastor gets done preaching or the guy that was preaching getting done preaching, and I'd be scratching my head and thinking to myself, what did he want us to do? I didn't understand it. And here's the thing here's what you need to know it's not that they're bad communicators. A lot of times these guys are doing it on purpose. You say, why? Because look, when they have to, when they've committed themselves to preach through the New Testament on Wednesday night, and they get to Romans 1, they don't want the church people to understand what it means. So they want to go back to the Greek and use all these fancy terms and say this, and they're just hoping that you won't understand it. Because they don't want to offend you. You know, But that's not our job. As preachers, our job as preachers is to utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. It's to be able to preach clearly. Look, you might walk out of here or some visitor might walk out of here, you know, mad that I preached against Pope Francis or mad that I preached against the governor or mad. But here's the thing. My, my, my objective is not, you know, that everybody that comes here just loves me and is my biggest fan and thinks I'm awesome. If, if that's your goal as a preacher, you're going to fail miserably. Because, you know, the preachers in the Bible, you know what they were? They were hated. Why? Because when you tell people the truth, people will hate you for it. But here's the thing. My goal is that I'm clear, that they understand. It's fine if they're mad that I preach about the Pope, as long as they know when they walk out those doors that I think the Pope's a pedophile. Right? That's clear. I wasn't kind of like, well, you know, I mean, if he's hanging out with people that are kind of like that, then maybe there might be no, the guy's a pervert. That's clear. Do you understand? Bible preaching should be clear. There should be a meaning of the voice. We may we should seek to excel in edifying by preaching clearly. So, what are the characteristics of real Bible preaching? It's to edify, it's to exhort, it's to comfort, it's to profit. It's to be clear. It's also to teach. Look at verse 19. Skip down to verse number 19. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding, he's saying being understood, than by my voice, excuse me, that by my voice, I might, notice these words, teach others also, than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So look, a goal of preaching is to teach. You know, if you ask me, what do you do for a living? I teach for a living. That's what I do. I teach the Word of God. And that's, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be... So, so look, that's why I don't get up here and tell a bunch of stories. I don't get up here and tell you all my fancy stories and all my things. You know, we spend a lot of time digging into the Word of God. Why? Because we're supposed to be teaching you the Word of God. We're supposed to be opening up the Word of God to you. That's what good Bible preaching does. Number seven. Look, we'll look at verse 23. If therefore the whole church become together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? And we'll come back to that. But look at verse 24. But if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is, I want you to notice this word, convinced, convinced of all. He is judged of all. I want you to notice that real Bible preaching should be Bible preaching that causes people to be convinced. Now, what does that word mean? You know, the word that I grew up with, which is not necessarily the best word, but it's the word that Baptists used to use or still use today, is conviction, you know, to be convicted. Here he says, convinced. Now, what does he mean by that? And here's what I want you to understand. The same word that is translated by our King James translators, and it's under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, the same word that in 1 Corinthians 14.24 was translated as convinced was also translated in Matthew 18.15 as this, tell him his fault. It was also translated in John 3.20 as his deeds should be reproved. So when Paul says, you know, He is convinced. He says when someone shows up to church and they hear real Bible preaching, they are convinced. What does that mean? It means that someone has told him his faults. Someone has told her her faults. Someone has reproved their deeds. Someone has rebuked them. Someone has told them they are wrong. And here's what you need to understand. Real Bible preaching will call out sin in your life. I mean, that's what, that's what God told Isaiah. Cry loud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show. He says, show them their transgression, the house of Israel, their sin. So, real Bible preaching should call out sin. It should call out sin in your life. It should step on your toes. When you come to, you say, our oh, pastor's always stepping on my toes. Well, then, then give him a raise. <laughs> you know, he's doing his job. You know, don't give him a raise. I'm just kidding. But, you know, then, then he's doing his job. Because, look, if you go to a church where you're never offended, where no one's ever calling you out on your sin, where you're never convicted or convinced, where you've never been told your fault, where you've never been reproved or rebuked for the deeds that you're doing wrong, then you're not going to church with a preacher that is doing Bible preaching. Because Paul says, hey, good Bible preaching will make people be convinced. And then he says this, he is judged of all. Good Bible preaching will judge. Good Bible preaching will judge. Now, people today act like judging is a bad thing. And they'll, they'll often quote, you know, Matthew chapter 7, you know, judge not that ye be not judged. But look, if you, if you read that in its context, he's talking about hypocritical judging. We ought not be judging hypocritically. But how about John chapter 7, verse 24? You have to turn there, but it says this, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So see, the Bible tells us there's a such thing as righteous judgment. And we should be judging as spiritual leaders we should be giving judgment we should be judging and telling what does it mean to to judge something is to tell people this is right this is wrong what does a judge do they bring a case before him and they put the case down and they say you know this person thinks this this person thinks this what does the judge do he says this one's right this one's wrong isn't that what a judge does you you have a lawsuit you go before the, the judge the judge says you're right you're wrong next you're wrong. You're right. Next. You're both wrong. You know, whatever. He, that's what a judge does. And when you come to church, you know what the pastor should be doing? He should be judging you. He should be telling you, hey, no, that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. That's not the way to do it. That's not what God says. And by the way, when you're doing this, you know what people will often accuse you of? They'll accuse you of being judgmental. I'm often being accused. You're judgmental. Well, I'm supposed to be judging. Judging. I'm the good Bible preacher. I'm just thank you. Praise the Lord. Because you know what real Bible preaching does? It judges. Look at verse 25. And thus are... I want you to notice this phrase. I really want you to see this. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. You know what real Bible preaching will do? Well, number one, it'll edify you. Number two, it'll exhort you. Number three, it'll comfort you. Number four, it'll profit you. Number five, it'll be clear. Number six, it'll teach you. Number seven, it'll call out sin. Number eight, it'll judge. But number nine, this is the last one. It will reveal the secrets of your heart. It will reveal the secrets of your heart. Now, let me give you guys, you guys that are learning how to preach and go to the Men's Preaching Nights, let me give you, because uh, you know, you're often, you know, so I heard a preacher say this, and I thought it was wonderful. In fact, you know, I wrote it down, and you should write it down as well. Because you know what young preachers always worried about? What am I going to preach about? What am I going to preach about? You know, Men's Preaching Nights coming up. What am I going to preach about? You know, I heard a preacher say this once, and, and, and I thought it was wonderful. If you learn to preach the Bible, you'll never have to worry about what to preach about if you learn to preach the Bible, you know that, mo- I don't know, you probably don't notice this, but most of the preaching that is done here at Mary Baptist Church, not all of the preaching, and I'm not against other people doing... Doing other types of sermons, I do all sorts of different types of sermons. But the majority of sermons that are done here at Ready Baptist Church are what are called expository sermons, where we basically take a passage of Scripture and we just go verse by verse, line upon line, and you know expound upon it, outline it, and apply it to your lives. You say, "Why do we do that? Here's why? Because if you learn to preach the Bible, you'll never have to worry about what to preach about. You know, if you just learn to take a chapter and study it, and figure out why God gave it to us and explain it to somebody and, and apply it to their lives. You don't have to sit there and worry about what to preach about. You'll always have something to preach about when you preach the Bible. But let me just warn you. Let me warn you. That type of preaching is dangerous when you preach the Word of God. Why? Because the secrets of the heart are made manifest. Doesn't the Bible say this? For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a, don't miss this, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And here's what you need to understand, and please understand this, Christians, believers, fundamental Baptists, People in this church and churches like ours, when I get up and preach sermons like why Pope Francis is going to hell, they love it. When I get up to preach sermons about, you know, the Orlando shooting and the Christian response, they love it. When I get up to preach sermons like love hates, they love, they love those sermons. As Christians, we love those sermons. Now, the world hates those sermons. You know, we love those sermons. But let me explain to you the sermons that will get you Christians to hate you. It's the sermon I preached last week about charity. You know why? Because it reveals the secrets of your heart. Because, see, you're not a Catholic. And you're hopefully not a reprobate. But you may have a patience issue. You may have a temper issue. You may have you know issues. So here's what I'm telling you: when you just preach, because look, it's easy to just get up and just preach a hobby horse topical sermon every Sunday. I could just preach a sermon about this false religion and that false religion. And here's the thing: it'll get the world to hate me, but all of you would love me. Every sermon, amen, Pastor. Get those you know uh, Mormons and get those Jehovah's Witnesses and get those Catholics and get those homos and get those and get that. And look, I'm all for those sermons and I do those sermons from time to time. But you know what? The bulk of the sermons that are done. Here here i meant for you that they might reveal the secrets of the heart that the secrets of the heart might be made manifest but please understand this when you preach like that people will hate you for it people will hate you for it i mean the apostle paul said am i therefore become your enemy because i tell you the truth the apostle paul said i will very gladly spend and be spent for you though the more abundantly i love you the less i be loved because, you know, it's much easier to preach a sermon against the Pope than it is to preach a sermon about marriage, or finances, or child-rearing, or tempers. You know, when, as a pastor, I'm constantly dealing with people that are having problems in these areas, it would be much easier for me just to just avoid those sermons, to just not preach those sermons. But you say, why do you preach those sermons? Because I'm supposed to try to instruct you in righteousness. Because I'm supposed to try to encourage you to live better. To do better. But look, how you respond to those sermons shows a lot about your heart. Because notice verse 25. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. Now here's what somebody with a good heart that's right with God, how they respond. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God. You know, I asked Brother Montel if I could use him as an illustration. But you know, last, last week I preached a sermon about charity, right? And we dug hard, not on the homos, but on you and your heart and the way you treat people, and the way you feel about people. And some of you didn't like it. You really liked the Pope one, but not the you one. You know, Brother Montel walked up to me and said, Pastor, you know, that sermon gave me a lot of things to think about. There's a lot of things I need to consider. And I thought to myself, yeah, of course. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't think that. I said, you know what, thank you. And he didn't tell me it was the greatest sermon he's ever heard, it was the most exciting sermon, but he said it, it gave me things to think about. You know what he was saying? He was saying, there's some things in my heart I need to deal with. Because thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest and so falling down on his face, he will worship God. When you receive it well, it'll draw you closer to God. But when you don't receive it well, you know what it'll make you? Bitter, angry, mad, upset. I've been accused of all, you know, I, I get up and preach a sermon on Christmas and somebody said, why are you preaching on alcohol? I'm like, I didn't even mention alcohol. That's your guilty conscience. You know, I mean, I get up and preach a sermon on tongue speaking, and people are like, hey, you knew that I grew up Calvinist. I'm like, what are you talking about? I was Brother brother's talking, I didn't mention anything about Calvinist, you know, or whatever. And, but you know what, pe- people just, they, 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 when they have a guilty conscience, every sermon. I could get up here and preach about dog food, and they're just like, he's always getting on me about not tithing. <laughs> I mean, I could get up and preach about tuna, and it's like, it's always about soul winning. It's like, no, maybe you just feel guilty. Maybe it's just the Holy Spirit working on your heart. So you know what? But you know what real Bible preaching does? It reveals the secrets of the heart. Why? Because look, when when it reveals the secrets of your heart, we know that we're using the Word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. So real Bible preaching reveals the secrets of your heart. And by the way, let me explain something to you. Writing a sermon like the sermon about the Pope takes about half the time than a sermon like this one, where you're breaking down 40 verses and applying them to people's lives. But you know what? These sermons are better for you. They will actually grow you better. They will edify you better. I'm all for the sermons against the Pope, and I will continue to preach the sermons against the Pope. And when the Pope dies, I'll preach a sermon about him again, or whatever, you know. But, you know, I'm not, nothing against that. But you know what? The sermons you need to be getting are the ones that reveal the secrets of your heart, that make manifest the secrets of your heart, that discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Go to First Corinthians 14. Look at verse 23. Now, in verse 23 to the other chapter, he, he begins to give some practical instructions for order in the church service and we'll just run through this real quickly look at verse 23 if therefore the whole church be come together into one place talking about the church service and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned and unbelievers will they not say that you are mad now the pentecostals are wrong but i will tell you this when people walk into the pentecostal churches and everybody's just speaking and barking and acting like they're drunk people walk out of there saying these people are mad but, but, you know, Paul is saying if, if, if someone walked into church and, you know, the song leader is singing in one language, the Bible reader is reading in another language, the pastor is preaching in a different language, you know, you have like a men's preaching night like we had on Sunday night where we had several testimonies and guys preaching. That was a lot of fun. I, we need to do stuff like that more often. That was, that was awesome. But imagine if all of those guys got up and spoke a different language, every testimony was a different language. He said, look, people will say that ye are mad. Look at verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you have the psalm and have the doctrine and have the tongue and have the revelation and have an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. He says, look, everything that happens in church should be done for one goal, to edify you. The songs that we sing are meant to edify you. The chapter we read is meant to edify you. The preaching of the word of God is meant to edify you. Look at verse 40. Let all things be done decently, And in order. So, what are the instructions he gives us? Let's look at them real quickly. The first one is he gives instructions for those who speak with an unknown tongue. Verse 27 If any man speak with an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So he gives instructions about uh, people who speak foreign languages. Is there anything wrong with someone speaking a foreign language? Well, he says, first of all, just keep it to like, you know, two or at the most three and make sure there's an interpreter. Then he gives instructions uh, for those who prophesy or those who preach. Look at verse 29. Let the prophets speak by two or three and let the others judge. So just like on Sunday night, we had three guys preach. You know, we, we let the prophets speak by, you know, two or, or three, and let the others judge. And we had a guys giving testimonies, of course, but the guys that preached, we had three of them. Look at verse 30. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't interrupt each other. You know, so we got three guys that are going to preach, or the men's preaching nights. You know, they preach 10-minute sermons. Sometimes we'll have eight of them. You know, if it's, don't don't just like, oh, I just thought of something. No, no, you know, you wait till your turn, or your turn already passed. Well, then you save that for the next time. But he says. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. Look at verse 31. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and that all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, and as in all churches of the saints. So I want you to notice in verse 31, he says, prophesy one by one. He's saying, look, when you have multiple preachers or multiple speakers, like a men's preaching night or something like that, he said, you don't interrupt each other you just let one guy speak. When he's done, the other guy gets up and speaks. And again, that's not what happens at the Pentecostal churches. At these Pentecostal churches that are wrong on tongue speaking anyway, but, you know, the guy's preaching, and then some lady gets up and starts speaking, and talking. some other guy gets up and starts barking like a dog. You know, they don't, they don't wait for each other. But let me say this. He's talking about preaching in the church context, but let me just say this. You can apply this to preaching the gospel as well. You know, when you're out there preaching the gospel as a soul winner, prophesy one by one that all may learn. And if anything be revealed unto another another that sitteth by, let him first hold his peace. You know, as soul winners, we shouldn't be interrupting each other. Oh, I just thought of something. No, no. You know what? We switch off at every door. We switch off when we talk to someone. You wait your turn. Right? Now, here's the thing. If If the individual asks you, you know, maybe they're new at soul winning and they get, they get as far as they can, but they don't really know what to do and they, they ask you to take over, then take over. But here's the thing, once you take over, guy who asks for the help, now you're the silent partner. You don't let him take, you, take a couple of verses and be like, oh, okay, I got it from here. No, 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 we prophesy one by one. You know, you are, it's called a silent partner for a reason. The emphasis is on the word Silent. All right, so don't interrupt your soul-winning partner. We need to prophesy one by one. And then he says this, verse 32, the Spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Again, we can apply that to the Pentecostals because the Pentecostals say like, oh, the Spirit just took over and I don't remember what I said and somebody has to show me on a video. Well, here's the problem with that. The Spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So look, the Holy Spirit is never going to take over you. All right, whenever we see in the Bible that somebody takes over a body, that's not the Holy Spirit, that's an unclean spirit. That's an evil spirit. So you say, what do you think about these Pentecostal tongue speakers? There's two options for them. They're, they're either faking it, or they're filled with the devil. And if they're not faking it, then they're demon-possessed and They need to get saved. But a lot of them are faking it. I used, to, I used to know a guy that went to Pentecostal church, he told me he faked it. You know, and he said all his friends faked it, everybody faked it. You know, and I, I was like, praise the Lord! You weren't possessed! Because if you weren't faking it, that's a problem. Look at verse 34. So he gives us instructions for those who speak in an unknown tongue. Then he gives us instructions for those who prophesy and how to do it. Then he gives instructions for the ladies. Verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church, And in other passages, we're told that women are not to teach men, that they are not to usurp the authority of the man. Let me just say this about the women keeping silence in the church. Women should, of course, keep silence in the church. That's what the Bible says. If you don't like it, take it up with God. All right? We're not here to try to mold over the Word of God. See, if I was one of these liberal preachers, I would be trying to get real confusing when I'm reading these verses, right? Because I don't want to offend you. So I'd be like, in the Greek... The word silence means um, not to talk, but that, you know, and it starts saying all these weird things to try to confuse you and get you off topic and start telling a story or whatever. Here's what it says. Let your women keep silence in the churches. All right, is that clear? And in case you didn't get it, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. Now, let me just say this, because I, I do think people can take this to an extreme. All right. I don't think this verse means that, like, the moment you walk through the front door, you're not allowed to talk. All right. I, you know, people take things. And here's and here's the other thing. I don't even think it means that you're not allowed to talk in in the church service. You know, I think it means you're not allowed to preach. You're not allowed to teach. I think that includes the amens because when a man says amen. And by the way, you guys, you know, one of these days get permission from your wife and say amen every once in a while. It'd really help out, you know. But, um, you know, when a guy says amen, he's adding to the preaching. He's saying, I agree with the preaching. I agree with what's being said. But, but here's the thing. You know, I mean, people literally take it like, as soon as the service starts, my wife's not allowed to talk. It's like, okay, I don't, whatever. I mean, submit to your husband if that's what he tells you to do. But I, I think that's a little extreme. Look, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm not preaching... And I lean over to my wife while well, Brother Sucky's preaching, Brother Oliver's preaching, and I say, "Hey, can I can I get a pen?" You know, she better say yes, <laughs> right? No, I'm talking. I don't. That's not what it's talking about, all right? People take things to extreme. It's talking about teaching the Word of God and and you know being a part of the teaching, which the amening is part of that, all right. But you know we're not talking about not allowed to talk. You know, The pastor says amen. You know, not allowed from the moment the chapter's read to pastor says amen. We're not allowed to say anything. That's a little extreme, in my opinion. But, lest we be clear, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as so say the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, hey, you guys, you better be spiritual, better be reading, better be learning. Why? Because you're supposed to be the spiritual leader. You're supposed to be the one that they can go to for questions and things like that. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. You you want to ask me what I think about uh, Joyce Myers. She's a shame it's a shame. Joyce Myers is a shame. And every woman that gets up to preach in church, it's a shame. Why? Because it is shame for a woman to speak in the church. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. Thank you for this chapter and the great truth we can learn from it and the applications, Lord. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to just have the right attitude for the preaching. Lord, help us to uh, accept the preaching and to acknowledge the preaching, to realize that we are here to be instructed, that we should apply the things that we hear.